welcome to Talk With Me. This is Marcia Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas, and it is always a pleasure to be with you, our listeners, talking about things that I hope prompt some, maybe some different action, who knows, some kindness towards yourself, some kindness towards others. Um, that's the kind of thing that I'd like to have happen. Most of the time, my guests are people who are writers, sometimes primarily writers. And today my guest is somebody who is both a writer and somebody who helps in other ways, who's known for her work with relationships, both writing to help people have better relationships and also being involved as a therapist. And so I welcome Harriet Lerner to talk with me. Um, hello, I'm, de- I'm delighted to be here. Well, and this will be a fun conversation because your new book, I'm just going to just start right there. Why Won't You Apologize? It's one of those books that everybody can benefit from in terms of some some guidance, some understanding, some kind of suggestions about maybe there are some patterns we have that we could change. And, and it'll be helpful to us in friendships, in intimate relationships, in work. It's just, it's really great. So, so I'm excited that you have this new book, that people have the chance to, to hear you read it soon in Topeka. And, and I just want to get our conversation started with, for those who somehow haven't heard your name before, Harriet, would you tell a little bit about who you are and what your work is? Well, um, I am a clinical psychologist and psychotherapist, and I actually was born in Brooklyn, New York, so my trajectory was, let's see, Brooklyn, Madison, Wisconsin, back to New York, then Berkeley and San Francisco, and then out to Topeka, Kansas, where I joined the staff of the Menninger Clinic, psychiatric clinic, and my husband and I were both staff psychologists there for a couple of decades. And then when Menninger moved to Houston, we moved to Lawrence, Kansas, oh. which I really love because it's sort of like a little a little Berkeley, but I've never had to learn to parallel park. <laughs> it suits me really well. And my main interest, beginning with my first book, The Dance of Anger, is helping people to navigate relationships which are stuck in too much distance or too much blame, too much intensity. And of course, that's all of us. And and again, it's it's romantic relationships, it's family relationships, it's, you know, we all have relationships of different kinds, and the kind of information that you share is helpful in all those different spheres of our lives, and and that's that's part of what's really exciting to me, and I have to admit that also one of the things that I got as I was, I haven't quite finished Why Won't You Apologize, but as I'm reading it, one of the things that, two of the things that delight me, one is that it's it's filled with examples, with stories from real life. Um, it's not saying this is the clinical research that was done by controlled, you know, blah blah blah. Right, right. Controlled clinical <laughs> it won't trials. put you to sleep. The book won't <laughs> put you to sleep. <laughs> and also that you share from your own very personal experience. So, so people get that sense of this person who's who's giving us some recommendations is coming out openly as saying, 
And this stuff has been hard for me and is hard for me at times too. And so it makes the information really accessible that we're kind of all in this together. I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> right. And that's very important because, um, you know, sometimes I sort of quip that because I'm a relationship expert, I move through my relational world with perfect clarity and calm and wisdom and wit, much like a saint or a highly evolved Zen Buddhist. And <laughs> of course, I always know exactly what to say or do. The reality, you know, and is that if any reader were to see me, in my very worst moments with my husband, Steve, or with my two boys, you know, they would close the book immediately and they would never come to see me in therapy <laughs> because we all have very different levels of functioning that, you know, that we bring to our relationships, mm -hmm. even within a single day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to me that, that demonstrates when I, as I'm reading your book, I'm thinking, this person gets it. It's not coming mm -hmm. from this distance. And that to me makes the information a lot more meaningful. And I know from, from my own professional work um, as, as I'm a social worker and my, my most of, much of my work is in suicide prevention. So with people who are, are stuck in some patterns that are really difficult often, you know that there are times when, when I share a bit from my own experience to say, not that I know exactly what you're walking through, but but I've I've gotten some ideas from my own experience. I've I've had some glimpses of some of that, and it helps me understand. And that's what I want to do is understand it, because that's how I can can we can work together, you know, to to kind of get through this, and that there's always the opportunity to learn to do things better. And so again, yes, me, and I think yeah, I think it is so important. Um, as you're saying, Marcia, to be able to share our authentic experience. I mean, it's, it's the most healing thing, not only for other people to realize that they're not alone, but it's also what moves us out of shame. Because mm -hmm. when we keep things hidden and we can't speak about them, yes. our own shame flourishes. Mm -hmm. um, in silence and in shadow. So I, I think that it's so important what you're saying. Yeah, that, that uh, one, of, one of my things that I often say to people is, you know, we need to approach our past with no shame and no blame, recognize that we've been doing the best we knew how to do, and that there's always opportunity to learn more and to move forward in different ways. You know, we, mm -hmm. we have that. No matter how old we are, no matter how long we've been doing things, the way we've been doing them, you know that that I insert a lot of yets in conversation as not that I don't do this. It's like, well, maybe you haven't done that yet, but that doesn't. Uh -huh, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I love your book because to me, it's it's about hope and optimism that yeah, we can make changes. And I'm going to sneak in one little vignette from your book that I won't say all the details, but but I love that you also talk about something that isn't what we always hear, which is we don't have to totally try to reconnect with somebody after there has been a major betrayal. You know, that, that we have the right to make that decision that actually I can appreciate an apology, but I don't have to do what you're asking me to do in terms of getting back together in some way. 
Right. And of course, it depends on the relationship because those who have read The Dance of Anger and my other books, The Dance of Connection, The Dance of Intimacy, you know, when we're talking about a family member, you know, a a parent, a child, a sibling, there's always a great cost to cut off. Mm -hmm. And often when we cut a person off, out of anger, that person is actually a bigger presence inside of us. So what's most important, of course, is to protect yourself first. You don't put yourself in any relationship context where you're going to be re-traumatized. But there are certain relationships that I help people work very, very hard on. And that said, Um, You know, the vignette you're pointing to is a very important one that sometimes an injury, for example, from a friend or um, an injury is so great that the relationship can't be restored. And that um, that's sort of the, the moral of that Humpty Dumpty poem. You know, where all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Sometimes the very foundation of a relationship is really shattered and we need to move on from it. And it, it can take a lot of courage to, uh, to move on from it. Mm-hmm. And so you're also talking about that we get to be discerning. We don't want to casually write off people by any means, um, but there may be some times when there is reason to say to this former friend, former colleague, whatever, that you know, actually it's not something that I'm going to choose to do to, to try to be back um, with you in some relationship way. You know, we, we have that right. Right. And I I think in the example I give, um, if we're thinking about the same example, a woman was so betrayed by a best friend who came to work at the same job that she was working at and then um, basically really, really did her in. And then years later, wrote a wonderful note of apology that she really had been thinking um, about how terribly she behaved and sent an email saying, you know, I want to get together for lunch. I'm so deeply sorry. And when I talked to my client who was consulting with me, who was the hurt party, it was very clear that every cell in her body did not want to meet with this person again. And she handled it very maturely because rather than, you know, sending her back an email that rehashed her entire crime sheet and et cetera, she simply thanked her for the apology and said, for me, there's too much water under the bridge to meet for lunch or to resume the friendship. I wish you all the best Um, and signed her name. And it's interesting because when you do that, rather than blasting the other person, the wrongdoer has even more space to really feel what they've done wrong. Because when we 
go at someone with angry, blaming confrontations, we actually protect them because they will just become defensive. They'll see you as the problem and they'll wrap themselves up in even more layers of defensiveness and, and denial. So the fact that she was able to write back and say, thank you for the apology. Um, for me, there's too much water under the bridge. I wish you the best. It's a very mature kind of way to say, you know, I, I cannot resume this relationship. Mm-hmm. I use the word mature and the word that comes to my mind is also gracious, you know? Yes. It's, it's yes. good for and like you said, it doesn't put anybody on the defensive. It's a clear statement. It's a brief statement. And, and that's what, I, what I'm reading in your book a lot is, is brevity and clarity are helpful to have a mes- message that will be received. And that's, I think that, that's something that, that is a good reminder for us, you know, to think about what are we really trying to communicate and what's the best chance of saying that simply in a way that the person can hear it and they do what they do with it. But, but for me, I know there are times when it's an important conversation and I'm thinking in advance, what do I really want them to know? And, and what are, what's my best effort at saying that clearly um, in a very, very personal to me way that, you know, that, that this is how I experienced this thing that happened between us. Um, you know, as opposed to, you're really a jerk. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. You know, often when we're hurt, we're the wronged party and we want to confront the other person. We just do the very thing that will make the apology less less likely. The person will be less likely to be able to hear us. And Saying it shorter, um, it's very, very difficult. It's incredible. I mean, for me, too. I'm somebody who, when I'm angry and uh, I want to get through, I will tend to over-talk things. And I wrote about this in in the mother dance, like with my son, Ben. And uh, we would have these arguments when he was in high school about cleaning up the public space. And I would lecture him. I would go on and on. And, you know, his eyes would be rolling back in his head and his brainwaves would be flat. And uh, I remember once his sort of looking up at me at one point when I must have sounded like an idiot, even to myself. And and Ben said to me, you write books about relationships. Oh, <laughs> said, look at yourself. Just look at yourself. So we tend to over talk things and it's actually very difficult to say to someone, um, you know, I had talked to you, I had told you that when you mention my weight, even with good intentions, that it's not helpful. And yet you did it again last night at the party. Help me to understand you're doing that 
you know, after I told you how hurtful it was, help me to understand that a little better. And then to leave the silence. It is very difficult to say a few sentences and leave the silence, which is really what puts the other person on the hot seat. You know, as I said before, if you go on and on and on, you know, and how could you do this and blah, 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 the the other person, um, you, you protect them because they, they won't be there. You know, they won't be there emotionally. And so as you say that, I'm, I'm reminded of also the flip side of this is that I think sometimes we have difficulty accepting an apology or a compliment without qualifying it away, you know? And, and I know I, I had an experience recently that was really challenging for me. And, and it happened as, you know, and in the midst of, of reading your book, so I'm thinking about this. And, and I was talking with a, a teen who I um, know who is a trans girl, so a um, gender identified at birth male, um, but is a girl. And we were talking and, and her mom came in. And when her mom came in, her mom asked if she would stay. And out of my mouth pops, if it's okay with him. It's like, I've never referred to this youth as him. Uh-huh. And I felt, I felt humiliated because I know how important it is to be accurate in, in gender mm-hmm. with people. Mm-hmm. And I felt terrible. And, and this was actually a, uh, we were actually talking via Skype. Um, so mom had walked into her room while we were talking. Anyway, so, so I'm feeling terrible and um, I corrected myself and I apologized. And I said again that, you know, I want you, the youth, you decide if, if you want your mom to be in the room while we talk a little bit more, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine. You know, but it, it's your call. It's your decision, not mine. You know, and so after mom was out of the room, I said again, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry for referring to you by the wrong gender. And she said, oh, it's okay. And I had to really struggle with that. And I'm not saying I did it graciously. I said, well, actually, I don't think it really is okay for me or anybody to call you by the wrong gender. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And so to me, that was a challenging situation. And I'm throwing it out there because, you know, thinking, well, you, you may want to, you, you may have some words to, to help any of us who've had those kinds of situations where we've done something that we believe is truly hurtful to the other person and the other person kind of lets us off the hook well it your story you know and it's a really important story is also a story of how hard it is to just say thank you for the apology Um, we want to protect the other person. I'm sure that she was very grateful for your help. You know, so she wanted to say, oh, you know, it was nothing. Forget it. And it can be very hard for all of us to simply say thank you for the apology. We're very prone to being uncomfortable in the moment when someone apologizes and we want to say, oh, no, you know, it's nothing. Forget it. It was nothing at all. Well, if the other person has gathered the courage to apologize, then it is something. 
Otherwise, they wouldn't be apologizing. And if it really is something, it takes a certain kind of courage to just say thank you for the apology. And by the way, parents, because parents tell me that they want to teach their kids to apologize. Uh And the main reason that children grow up to be allergic to apologizing as adults is that the parents, and this is a sort of different kind of problem, accepting an apology, that parents tend to say, thank you for the apology, I appreciate it, but they don't end there. There are a lot of add-ons. Like they say, you know, thank you for the apology, but, you know, I had to ask you 10 times for it. Maybe next time you'll be able to apologize before I ask you. Or thank you for the apology, but it did not sound sincere. You know, you're looking at your feet. You look at your brother and you apologize like you mean it. Or you go to your room and you think about how your brother felt. And then you come out when you're really... And and what happens is that the kid, you know, and I, I interviewed a lot of kids when I was writing the mother dance, they dread apologizing mm-hmm. because they know there's going to be like a little lecture about how they didn't do it right or it wasn't sincere enough or they don't have enough empathy. And, you know, kids tell me that they just want to stick their fingers in their ears and get out of the room. Um <laughs> <laughs> because it, it's so awful, you know, and there, there's so much sort of shame and over-talking. So my advice to parents is with that, you know, you ask a child, you say, please apologize to your brother or to me, and when they apologize, simply say, thanks for the apology. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. In a nice tone of voice, you know, not <laughs> with an intense, ironic edge. <laughs> And if there's need for more conversation, which there very well might be, save it for a different conversation. So it does not cancel out the apology. Um, It's very hard for people to realize we do not have to say everything in one conversation. We can say, thank you for the apology. I appreciate it. That will lower the intensity in the relationship and create more of the emotional field that we can reopen the conversation if we have more to say to that child or an adult. And I think that part, gosh, when you say that, that's so important that, you know, what you're, what you're teaching advocating in this book why don't you why won't you apologize is is that being able to say that apology and accept that apology in ways that that don't end up negating or creating defensiveness and then it creates that opportunity for later conversations exactly exactly when when we when we lecture somebody and we or when we use it terrible tone of voice, but words that would be okay in a better tone of voice, uh-huh. <laughs> we, 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 we make it difficult for somebody to want to talk to us again. And exactly, exactly. And intensity, you know, I'm glad you're bringing up the issue of intensity, tone of voice, because another thing I really like to remind people of is to never 
use email if you're wanting to process an important emotional issue. Um, People tend to get up three in the morning and write their sister a long, angry email. You know, they want an apology. They, um, and email, it's, it's one thing, you know, to lightly text or email someone if you're the offending party and say, I was a jerk. I'm so sorry. You know, I'm here to talk about it. Or, mm-hmm. But when you confront someone on email, even if it's about a very little thing, like they didn't pull their weight cleaning up after you invited them to dinner or whatever, it's read, email and text are read, um, I don't know how to put this, but with with an intensity of tone Mm -hmm. that is not necessarily intended. Mm -hmm. And it's just not the vehicle to try to process something that's emotionally important. So if someone's hurt you and you want to mention it and you just can't do it by voice and you feel a need to write, my suggestion also always actually is to go buy a card. You know, you can get sort of a neutral Hallmark type card and write a very brief handwritten note um, that is not critical or blaming or shaming. But but stay off email. Don't press send. <laughs> if you write that long, angry letter to your brother or your Uncle Charlie, just don't click send. And the safest way is don't ever enter the address in the to field so you don't accidentally <laughs> send. <laughs> right. How oh, I can't tell you how many relationships I know that have gone downhill um, because, because of email. By and the I, way, I wanna, yeah, I go ahead. Because you mentioned the greeting card, and I wanted to say, because this is the text parallel that a friend of mine coached her father in, and this is an adult friend. She So she said, Dad, when you text me, I need you to use emoticons too, because that's how I get the sense of the mood of the text. So, so uh-huh. you know, if you're telling me something and you put a smiley face, it's a lot different than if you just send those words. So I kind of uh-huh. think that's like the greeting card. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> so communication is good, and, and it, written communication is hard because it, it can be easily misconstrued, particularly like you're saying when it's, when it's on the keyboard, um, that that greeting card picture, you know, quote, whatever is on the actual greeting card and the handwritten and the brief, all of those contribute to the likelihood of accomplishing what we're really trying to with that apology or or information that we need to share. <laughs> I like that. Exactly, exactly. You know, Marsha, I did a TED Talk that people can find. It's TEDx Kansas City, um, very much on what we're talking about. And I tell the story of a woman named Margot who had made a suicide attempt when she was a freshman in college. And then she went back to see a teacher who had mentored her in high school, who meant a lot to her. And the teacher shamed her terribly. He said things like, 
You know, Margo, I, I was very disappointed when I heard about your suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. I, I just didn't see you as the sort of person who would do such a thing. And, you know, and then he said when she left, he patted her in the back and he said, I sure hope that old strong Margot is in there somehow. So when I saw her, she was furious. She was uh-huh. furious. And she came in with a rough draft of a letter that she was writing him. It was three pages, single space. Mm-hmm. And it contained, it was angry and it contained all the literature and depression and suggested reading material so that her teacher could educate himself on, you know, suicide and self-harm. And what I told her, because she said that her intention was to get an apology. Her intention was to make him recognize that he had behaved like an asshole, to use her word. Mm -hmm. And what I told her is that unless her teacher was a very unusually highly evolved person, that he, he would not, this letter would not get in. And what she ended up doing is sending him a card that, had, that was six sentences long that had no anger or blame and that was so clear and so mature. And it said something like, I'm writing this note because you've been such an important person in my life. I came back to see you needing your you know, your respect. You, I I left your office feeling like a smaller person who had disappointed you. Maybe that's what you believe, but it didn't help me to hear it. I also need to tell you that I don't believe that I am a lesser person because of my suicide attempt. Love, Marco. Now, that's an incredible six sentences. And if you yeah. listen to it in the TED Talk, you'll see there's no blaming of the teacher. There's no criticizing. There's no asking for an apology. Mm-hmm. She lays it out you know, with such authenticity, speaking about her own feelings, you know, not his crime sheet, mm-hmm. that she gives him the very best chance of really owning how terribly he behaved. And he did call her and apologize. And so often what we do when we're angry and we want the apology is we do what Margot did in her first letter. We have this idea that the more we make our argument, the more intensely we make our point, the more sentences we add, you know, the more the other person will see the irrefutable truth. And and that's not so. Mm-hmm. That's not so. So brevity and kindness, paradoxically, are what invite the other person to really take responsibility and feel remorse. Lovely. It gives them space. They're not attached. It gives them space, space. right. It it doesn't, um, they don't wrap themselves more tightly in defensiveness. That's lovely. Not easy to follow, but lovely goals to be brief. Uh Right. 
even when sharing about a painful experience. Hey, we're going to take a quick break here from a couple of Lawrence, Kansas businesses that sponsor LawrenceHits.com, and then we will be right back with more Talk With Me and today's guest, Harriet Lerner. Welcome back to Talk With Me. This is Marcia Epstein, and I'm just so enjoying this conversation today with Harriet Lerner and listeners. I hope you are too. We are being challenged. We are being offered information. We are kind of having a new path blazed for us that we can do things a little bit differently and they may work better. <laughs> That's always a good thing. Right. It's easy to get that rut into that new path, but it is doable. It's no matter where we are in life, we have that opportunity to, to do the changes that are right for us, to honor that we've been doing things the best we knew how to at the time and that there may be ways that are better fits for us now that we really can do. So I love this conversation and and that what we were just talking about, how the brevity and kindness in explaining something about the impact um, and our relationship with somebody, that brevity and kindness are the ways for that message to really have impact, to for us to be heard and for also for the person that we're speaking to so whether it's in writing or in person to be able to to consider it and and maybe do something with it that hopefully will be better for both people i love that lots of hope lots of optimism lots of of, you know saying here's a little something we can do and that's so important and i know as you were talking about you know the the long long letter I know that for some of us those those long writings are helpful as a journal (laughs) Uh-huh. <laughs> Reminder again that they may not be helpful to the person that we we're hoping it will be helpful to. Well, and, and not helpful to ourselves, not yeah, helpful to ourselves in, yeah. in the long run. So, I mean, you can write the, the letter of just really what you want to say from the gut. That doesn't mean you have to put it in the mail. Uh-huh. Um, and what's useful is to know your intention. Mm-hmm. Because if you write, you know, I've I've had people consulting with me who write the three-page single-space, incredibly um, damning letter with all the evidence. And when I ask them what is their goal, what what is their intention, like what do they hope to encom- accomplish, they might say. All I want to accomplish is to take the full force of my rage, put it down on paper, send it to them. I don't care how they respond. I don't care about the future of the relationship. That's my intention. Well, fine. You know, they don't need help from me. But if their intention is that they really want to get through to the other person, that they... Um, want the other person to feel remorse and to really get it that they've behaved badly, then they might not want to send that long letter. Mm-hmm. They might want to send more the kind of letter that Margot sent that we were talking about before the break. Mm-hmm. And it's so complicated. It's really, you know, I, I think uh, as I listen and as I've been reading the book, um, why won't you apologize? You know, of course, well, I, of course, for me, I think about personal experiences. I think about personal experiences and I realize that sometimes the response that I have um, given has been 
too quick, but it was in the moment what I thought I needed to do. So even even <laughs> brevity, but but maybe without having time to reflect very much, um, sometimes isn't going to accomplish um, really anything for anybody. And and I think about you know I I have a text in my mind, and there was a reason it had to be by text after something that I I experienced as a huge, huge betrayal that involved several people. But one of them was somebody who I had considered as a trusted friend and colleague. And to to learn that she had been part of this, my uh, my need was to let her know that she that I knew that she was part of it. And my text to her was you know, I, I can't believe that you would be part of something like this, of treating someone like this. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and I don't actually regret that I sent it. I couldn't have, I, I, did, I, needed, I needed to express something to this particular person, you know. I'm not saying it was effective for her. I, I could kind of see some of the things that she did related to <laughs> that text that, you know, but it, but it also... I, I don't know. I'm just saying it's for me, I, I needed to do that. And and honestly, I still don't regret it, even though, yeah, there might have been a better way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, again, you know, it depends. I mean, if if we're talking about a friendship that has a long history and it's someone who, you know, before this awful betrayal, someone who, um, you know, that, that we cared about. And as you put it, you know, you had to send the text. I mean, that was your experience to send that text. The question then would be, you know, do you want to leave it at that? Or would you, if the relationship were important and had a lot of history, you know, leave her a voicemail saying that, um, you know, you're aware that you wrote a very angry text and that you would like the opportunity to be able to sit down and have a chat with her, whether by phone and on person. And I don't know whether, you know, it sounds like that's not something that you felt a need for or wanted to do, but we have a lot of chances in relationships. So even when we muck it up, and by the way, and why won't you apologize? I, I spend a couple of chapters talking about the most common ways we muck up our apology or you know, how we muck it up if we're the hurt, angry party. So we always muck it up. And that doesn't mean you know, that you have ruined something because things are not resolved in one conversation. That's a good reminder. So again, it depends on the importance of the relationship, on on whether you have a commitment to trying to see if it can be healed or you really want to let it go. And, um, but again, I would say that you, since you mentioned this was someone you thought was a good friend, that a text like that, it lets her off the hook. She doesn't have to sit with what she's done. Mm -hmm. 
rather than if you had called her, which is very difficult, and said, um, when I found out that you were part of of what happened, that was very hurtful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just wanted to talk with you about it because that was very hurtful mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get your perspective on it because we have a long history together and then leave her the space mm-hmm. to talk. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's harder. That's a harder thing to do mm-hmm. than making it a one text thing. Mm-hmm. And that's a personal decision for all of us. You know, what mm-hmm. kind of... How do you want to do this? What do you want to accomplish? Yeah. Do you want and to operate from being your best, most mature self, which I don't always. With none you of us. You want to let always. it hang out. But, <laughs> right. None of us always. Exactly. But it is good to ask yourself, mm-hmm. what is my intention here? What do mm-hmm. I really want to mm-hmm. accomplish mm-hmm. in sending this text or writing this letter or opening this conversation? Yeah. And, and part of what I hear you saying also is to consider what type of relationship we have had and hope to have in the future with this person. Exactly. And of course, the context of the relationship is so important. For example, with my husband, Steve, who is really a very flexible guy, um, you know, I can behave like a big jerk. (laughs) And then I can, on top of that, I, I refuse to apologize because I'm convinced that I'm only 47% to blame. I've done the math and I think he should apologize first because I've done, I've done the math too on his percentage, which is over 50% by my math. And, you know, I can be a big jerk and we can have a really, really stupid fight. And when we were younger, it would take us longer to you know, offer the one person to offer the olive, olive branch and the other mm-hmm. to accept it, but now you know we do it very quickly. But the point being that because I know him so well and because I live with him, we have the dailiness of living mm-hmm. together. I can behave like a big jerk, you know, and I can <laughs> I can make it up, you know. <laughs> And I am much, much more careful, for example, let's say my sister is visiting from Cambridge or someone that I really don't see very often, I would be much more careful because it's much harder to, um, to heal things long distance. Yeah. And of course, you have to consider the person. I mean, some people are very reactive and immature and a lot of drama, and some people are much calmer and clear thinking. And as I said, we're all of those people, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. depending on the day and the context. Mm-hmm. And and I, I also would love if you would say a little bit to all of us about, I'm, I'm aware that patterns in offering apologies and accepting apologies also relate to how I'm feeling about myself. If I, if I have beliefs about myself that I'm always the one who messes things up, then it's like I expect criticism and I offer apology. I, I have 
I, I think, and, and sometimes that comes out in ways that people probably don't even recognize until someone comments. The, the people who say they're sorry about so many things that, that <laughs> right, are for- insignificant <laughs> and are not in their control. And, you know, that, that use of the, that phrase, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know. I'm sorry. Right, Marsha. That, that, you know, it's interesting. The biggest risk factor in all cultures that have been studied for being an under-apologizer is being raised male and for being an over-apologizer, being raised female. So some women, you know, do this sort of endless stream of unnecessary I'm sorry's as if they went to Miss Manners apology finishing school. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. Did you want to sit here? Oh, you were looking Mm -hmm. at the menu. I'm so sorry. Uh Oh, I interrupted you. I'm so sorry. And, you know, there are many reasons for that. And uh, as the comedian Amy Poehler puts it, I love this quote. She says, it takes years as a woman to unlearn what you have been taught to be sorry for. And whatever the cause, you know, one of the things I say, and why won't you apologize, whatever the cause, it's good to tone it down if you're an over-apologizer. So if you've forgotten to return your friend's Tupperware, you don't have to apologize like with huge intensity and remorse as if you ran over her kitten. Over-apologizing creates distance. Mm -hmm. It interrupts the normal flow of conversation. And it will also irritate your friends who have to stop and reassure you, no, no, it's okay, don't worry about it, instead of just continuing with whatever they had wanted to talk about. So, Mm -hmm. um, But I would add that when it comes to the real apology, to when we've really hurt someone and I'm sorry isn't enough, um, we may have to really sit on the hot seat and listen to their anger and pain and accept responsibility for what we've done without a hint of evasion or excuse-making or blaming or bringing up the other person's crime sheet. When it comes to the real apology, both men and women equally have a terribly hard time. It's a big challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm a big believer in substitution. You know, and now that I've heard you talk a lot about, you know, what, what is your, your intent? What are you really trying to accomplish? And, and so I think about something and I wish I had remembered where where I first heard this but but a substitution for certain kinds of I'm sorry so rather than saying you know I'm so sorry I inconvenienced you because I'm 10 minutes late because I got a flat tire on the way here and I and I should have planned better and gotten here early and then you know to to be able to to say that as I really appreciate your understanding that I'm late because I had a flat tire or because I have depression and it's hard for me to get going or whatever the thing is. But but thank you for understanding rather than I'm so sorry. Sometimes that's a good substitution. <laughs> well, I think it's a mixed bag because 
if I were the listener and let's say you're 20 minutes late or you blow off the lunch date and you haven't said, I'm sorry, and you begin with, thank you for understanding, <laughs> my feeling might be, wait a minute, I, I didn't say that I understood. Mm -hmm. And um, why haven't you acknowledged the mm -hmm. fact that, you know, I've been sitting here for 20 minutes. So I, I think one would have to be careful with mm -hmm. that one. Mm -hmm. I agree. I totally agree. We are getting towards the end of the time that we have today. And for those people who are hearing this show when it premieres on Tuesday, the 24th of January, or at least hearing it as a podcast before Thursday, February 2nd. If you are in the Kansas City, Topeka, Lawrence area, we want you to know that you could hear Harriet, Harriet Lerner at the Actually, let me interrupt you, yeah. Marsha, because just Topeka, because I've already talked in Kansas oh, City and, but they and can Lawrence. Drive. They can drive. Uh -huh. That's what I'm saying. We have lots of people oh, who I see. do that. Think it has a minimal commute from Kansas City, Topeka, Lawrence, Topeka. Lots ah, there you go. <laughs> various places to do different kinds of things. And I would say, actually, to the Kansas City friends, the Topeka Shawnee County Library is worth going to just to see the library and to get Gorgeous. to see this wonderful building and what all is in it and get to hear Harriet Lerner talk about this new book and these ideas. And why won't you apologize? Why won't you apologize? That's a great evening. And that's Thursday, February 2nd at 7 p.m. Again, at the Topeka Shawnee County Public Library. And, and I'm a Lawrence person. Harriet, you said you live in Lawrence, and I love that. I the book do. Sales, the book sales are by our lovely Raven bookstore in downtown Lawrence, which also means you could buy the book at Raven, go to Topeka Shawnee County Library, and have Harriet sign it there. <laughs> and the Raven, our wonderful independent bookstore that we're so lucky to have, they will be at the Topeka event selling books on the yeah. evening of February 2nd. So hooray for the Raven. Yes, yes. They're wonderful people, wonderful bookstore, lots of great things that happen there. And so getting this book from a local bookstore, that's just a better way to buy it. I'm, I'm a huge fan of buy local, support local businesses, local arts. It's a very good thing. So, Harriet, I want to thank you so much for spending this time with us. So listeners got to get this sneak preview of things that are in this book and more to know that, you know, there's this new book, Why Won't You Apologize, and 11 other books of really helpful information about families and relationships, um, families being a kind of relationship, of course. So, again, thank you very much, Harriet Lerner. Thank you, Marcia. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, and so long to our listeners. <laughs>